Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, it's, I'm wearing shorts today. And I, I went tanning when I was back east because I, I have, I think it's body, I can't pronounce it, body amaphagoba or some weird thing, body dysmorphia. There we go. And I always, I always my, my girlfriend makes fun of that. She's like, you can't, because I, I pronounce words wrong all the time. <laughs> like, I, I call it axophetamine when it's acetophetamine or whatever. And she's like, you, you, you're on the radio, you're an idiot. But I went tanning and it was very weird because I did one of those stand-up tanning beds because that is show I wanted to look good. And when you go back east and you live in California, you, know, you want to you look a little California, you want to look a little LA. Maybe I'm arrogant, maybe I'm vain, but you know, you want to look that way. And I'll tell you, I went on this stand-up tanning bed and I've never got the bottom of my armpits tanned and they got burnt. And I got to tell you, putting on deodorant this morning was quite uh, interesting because it's like, you, it's so sensitive because it, it, it doesn't see sun. I mean, when you grow up, when you lay on the beach, you put your arms next to it. Anyway, so if I'm a little off kilter today, it's because my armpits hurt, which makes no sense. But enough about me. We have a great guest. I uh, reached out to this gentleman. I sent him a Facebook and an email because sometimes people don't get Facebooks. And it's funny, he responded to my email and then he responded to my face, <laughs> Facebook saying, I sent you an email. And we have Lou Santini. How you doing, Lou? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. It's good. You know, it's funny because you and my first guest, Willie Barsena, I know your name. I've never met you. Right. And it's so funny. And that's one thing I love about doing the show is I meet people and because we're comics and you know, you've done radio, you know, you get, get talking. And it's always leaves a good conversation. I'm very happy to meet you. And yeah, you, it's great to be here. I, I am one of those comedians like, uh, you know, wow, you do really well. I've never heard of you. Okay. <laughs> I have no, like I said, I'm a draw in some states and some clubs and uh, never been heard before in a nice pleasant surprise in other in other clubs too. So I, I wear that badge with honor and uh, I, I know where I'm at. Now, where where are you a draw at? Like where were some of your places that people say, hey, we go to see Lucent? Uh, let's say, well, first of all, my hometown is in Pittsburgh and also Cleveland, is mostly raised by the way try being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan while living in Cleveland most of your life that goes oh, over real well see you know it's so funny because me growing up a diehard Eagles fan and okay. people know that I mean basically I, I always say I can meet a girl who could be a model make two million dollars a year could give me a hand job while she's ironing my shirts but if she was a Cowboys fan I'd never marry her because <laughs> there's a chance that I might have a kid that's a Cowboys fan yeah. and I'd sell that kid on eBay yeah but for, and, but for me we don't we like Pittsburgh because people are, oh you're from Philadelphia people are so dumb sometimes they think like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are next Right other. next like, to each other. We're across the state. Pittsburgh's hours right near, drive. Yeah, hours and hours. And it's so funny. So I have nothing against the Steelers. And I remember watching on my uncle's in my uncle's kitchen when I grew up the Immaculate Reception, and it was Christmas Day. And you know, my uncle sat and drank his ass off in, right. the, in the kitchen. I liked the Raiders as a little kid too. Okay, and I remember just being devastated. But I look back, I go, God, the Pittsburgh was so great with Franco Harris and mm. Rocky Blyer and Bradshaw. And there was some stat like Bradshaw never threw for more like two hundred and fifty yards, mm-hmm. but it was amazing. And now Cleveland Pittsburgh is a rivalry, and oh, it, yeah. it's more like. Philadelphia, Dallas is right. Philadelphia Giants are close, but Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you're not too far from each other, are you? Two and a half hour drive, and uh, like I said, they're both blue collar towns. Uh, one of the original, you know, football teams of the NFL, both same division. That's the other reason why Philly and Pittsburgh are fine. You guys are NFC, we're right. AFC, uh, other sides of the state, different types of football altogether. Oh, yeah. You know, but Cleveland and Pittsburgh, you know, they they play similar types of smash mouth football. You had coaches that come in Super Bowls. We had a fat ass who couldn't do crap. Yeah, we. In you know what's funny? In my lifetime, there have been three Pittsburgh. Steelers coaches. Yeah, Chuck Noll, Bill, Tom, uh, Bill Cower, Bill, and, and Mike Tomlin, and P- Cleveland's had 33. Well, it's so <laughs> funny. I, I Cleveland, I remember Cleveland, like with Brian Sype and back, you know, and, and Biner or Bynum, Biner fumble. Ernest Biner fumbling on the one. Yeah, and it's so, so you grew up in Pittsburgh. 
I know, born in Pittsburgh, all my mom's sides from there, and then I was mostly raised in Northeast Ohio. But you were already influenced by your family saying, yeah. you, you were come out, your, your, your diaper is golden. I got, I have an, you mentioned Franco Harris, I have an autographed football from the entire 78-79 starting lineup. Every single one of them is in the Hall of Fame now. Bradshaw, Blount, Blyer, uh, Franco Harris, Lambert, Jack Ham, uh, Mean Joe Green, all those, all, all, the, all the starters that are all in the Hall of Fame, autographed football under glass at home. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no one touches it. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so so you, you grew up in Ohio. Now, were you a funny kid? What, 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 yeah. what made you get into this this world we call comedy and showbiz? It's funny you mention that. Well, only child, you know, that you can start with that. And, uh, you know, I knew at age like five, maybe six, that I just love making people laugh, whether it's just you and me here in this room, uh, having been on the radio for 11 years and I'd have a million, you know, listeners every quarter hour or, you know, uh, live comedy shows. I loved making people laugh. And it's never been my die. I must be a stand up comedian, whether it's writing, TV hosting, acting, and stand-up is my first love. I just knew. Uh, gave a speech in church when I was about six. I'm sure it was four minutes long. My mom probably wrote the whole thing on index cards. And, uh, you know, I just basically read it. But I took it aside and I <laughs> added some jokes, which I'm sure I thought were hilarious to right. a six-year-old. And I remember I got laughs. It was in front of like 250 people. And this wave came over me, like a physiological, you know, call it hair standing up your And I just remember thinking, wow, I sure like that. And uh, I just knew. Now, did you watch comedy as a kid? Ab- boy, you couldn't have asked a better question. W- starting at age seven, um, we used to have comedy nights at our house. We would turn off the TV. This is back in the day when we had three networks. Right. You know, I know it's so funny because we had, we, in Philly, we also had seven, channel 17, 29, and 48. Yeah. Those and other, now other, I go back, and I, it's funny, and because I go back east a lot. I get I'm out here charter the high definition are the seven hundreds. Back yeah. there the high definitions are eight hundreds. So I still it takes me like three days. My girlfriend's <laughs> like, you put that show on, I'm like Seven and I get pissed off because yeah. there's so many networks now. Yeah, yeah, and and they always wonder why why we can't get any ratings. Well, you're just you know you're thinning everything out. Right. I mean, stop giving me a thousand choices. So we'd have comedy nights where we uh, we would turn off the TV. We put in eight tracks. By the way, kids, Google that. Uh, eight tracks of like Spike Jones, who was one of my all time favorites. Sound effects, a lot. Of yeah, sound, sound effects. effects. But Steve Martin, George Carlin, and Bill Cosby. To me, the the you know the Mount Rushmore for me because you have you know Cosby as the storyteller, George Carlin with the counterculture, and Steve Martin who was just genius who was thy god my all-time favorite he's an entertainer he yeah was, he was he, he brought comedy to a very people didn't see it he was he was a street performer and your first arena comedian the guy right. to play arenas and and you know and dodger stadium and you know that that kind of craze so uh you know it was funny because you know we would just turn it off and we just i we would my mom and dad would sit in the couch and on the recliner but i'd be lying on my stomach with my chin uh, 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 resting on my hands with my ear like an inch from the speaker because i needed to hear every little nuance i needed to know and i'm seven years old and and you have uh, Carlin and Steve Martin referencing, I don't know, Plato and Vietnam and Richard Nixon, whatever. And I'm like, who are these people? It forced me to go to the library to learn about these people because I needed to know why something was funny. Okay. Had to know why. And why is this lady laughing longer? Why is this guy laughing louder? There must be a reason why this is funnier to men. That so, thing. so you really started out at a very young age with Studying. looking into the technical side. Oh, Basically, absolutely. You know, that's what they used to say about Kinnison. And it's funny because Alan Steven was on a few weeks ago and he's telling stories about how Sam, you know, was just out of control. But the thing about Kinnison is people who didn't know comedy, who didn't follow comedy, just thought it was that guy who yelled. Yeah. But if you break it down, he would do punchline, 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 ah! But with just that reinforced the punchline. It was very technical. All Woody Allen albums. You know, you listen to like the I Shot a Moose. I Shot a Moose. And you listen to that and you listen to it and you go, every punchline leading up to the thing are amazing punchlines and you go how the hell is he going to top that right and he does so yep. you were you grew up as a very 
technically listening, just really wanting to study comedy. I've always believed that comedy is half art, <coughs> half science. You know, and the science. I mean, I have I have certain guidelines that I that I write by, and to me, it's just a general thing. It doesn't always work, but something funny every eight seconds or every other line. And I don't mean belly laughs, but something that the setup should be mildly funny. This, you know, just just getting right. there should should keep me interested. And yeah, there's going to be exceptions to every rule, but uh, you know. So and then when I got to be about. Uh, Nine years old, maybe a little bit older. Even though my bedtime might have been eight thirty, you know, nine nine p.m. Isn't that weird? Back then, we actually went to bed early. Now, kids are up to like eleven thirty. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Eleven thirty. They're up till past midnight. Uh, and uh, when Johnny Carson was on, when he'd have a guest comedian on, I'd be in bed. Guest comics don't come on to what past midnight. Yeah, they're, they're like the last act. So you're looking, right. And I think the, I think it was an hour and a half back then. Yeah, and you might so be you're right. Looking, you're looking like quarter of twelve. I was quarter of one. I'm sorry. Bedtimes at nine. My mom would come in. I'd be sound asleep, and she'd always just do the same thing. She'd just go. She'd nudge me. She'd go, honey, there's a comedian on. How cool is that? Well, were your parents comedy fans too? I mean, did uh, they yes. always love? I mean, did absolutely. They did. Did they do it for you because you're the only child, or did they just love comedy? They, also? they liked to do. My mom was an actress. She had a theater background at the Pittsburgh Playhouse. Okay. And my dad just, you know, he was a great laugher. I don't think he really understood the creative angle. My dad's always been a businessman, but he, he loved it. And it's just some of my favorite moments. And I would go downstairs, watch the comedian do four minutes on The Tonight Show, have it memorized like that. Okay. Go to the bus stop the next day. All my friends knew my mom was cool. And they're like, what happened on Johnny Carson? And it'd be seven o'clock in the morning in the snow, in the dark, at the bus stop and 20 degrees with cars was by. And I'm doing four minutes of whatever comedian was on the night before you know and I uh, when I got older I actually stood up uh, my buddy Dan always used to bug me to do Bill Cosby okay. loved when I did Bill Cosby so I finally got fed up and I stood up on top of the cafeteria tables in front of 350 kids and did Cosby for five minutes and I never got in trouble because the teachers were laughing too that's funny I was funny but not the class clown I was never disrespectful See, there's a difference you know I agree with you it's so funny I had my 30 year high school reunion okay and uh, my friend John Feast big football player and he still looks like he's a coach but he's a big fight you would never know this guy's like a financial genius because he's just this big I mean we used to sit there and he said it to me too he goes he goes I knew you would do comedy I knew you'd end up being in the entertainment business he goes same thing I was never the class clown but I would sit there and say something to him that would make him die yeah. or the teacher would the go, teacher the teacher would sit there and go Cooper are you talking all, are you copying off a feast I'm like Come on, he's a lineman. And the teacher would laugh. I wasn't the kid, hey, because right. hated, everyone hated that kid. Yeah, yeah. And then that kid always grew up to do nothing. Right. You know, I always had the teacher's life. And, you, and a good comedian is a kid like that. You got to pick your moments. I would go weeks without saying something funny, then just blast the teacher. And she. you could tell it wasn't about me being disruptive. It was about making her day. Right. Cause they Make, lo- making her day and making them laugh. Uh, my rule, you know, my mom, I, you know, look, I'll admit it. I'm, I'm a smart mouth. I'm sarcastic. I'm a smart ass. And uh, I remember one time, who knows what I said, my mom gave me, you know, how many Many times I got to tell you to clean your room, whatever. And I said something sarcastic. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I do remember that she laughed. And then she says, Gary, go to your room. I said, you can't send me to my room. You laughed. Right. And I'm like, that's what kind of rule is that? You can't go on audible like that. Forget it. And then uh, another time she, uh, I, I was always, you know, same with my parents, never disrespectful, never acted out, but I did. I had a smart mouth, right? And uh, said something sarcastic. Or she, my mom set me up and I took the high road and didn't say something sarcastic. And I'm not lying. I'm like eight years old. It ate me up inside. I did not sleep that night because I didn't. That's I couldn't funny. let go. So the next morning, I'm at breakfast, and I said, "Mom, you remember last night when you said such and such, and I didn't say anything, you know, sarcastic back that wasn't a, a smart aleck?" And she goes, "Yes, that was that was good." I said, "Well, I didn't get any sleep. Can I just say it and not be in trouble, and, and, and it won't count?" 
And my mom, just the look on her face, it was like, are you kidding me? But absolute love, and I, I get my kid. She's like, go ahead. And I said whatever the smart-ass answer was. And I'm like, oh, I feel better now. Like, I, I, you can't let it go. So they're very encouraging. Now, did, now did, you go very to, did you go to college? Yes, I did. And what was your major? Radio. And where'd you go? University of Akron, which I was very lucky because I was going to be a graphic design major. And then two weeks before I started college, changed it to radio because I was going to just get rid of college altogether i told my parents i gotta go be a comedian my parents are like you don't have any material i'm like well you guys say i'm funny i'm like yeah but you're 18 years old we're not sending out our 18 year old kid on the road with no jokes in his pocket right so it was my dad who was it's funny because he's not he said he's more of a businessman he said why don't you consider radio university of akron has the number one broadcasting program in the country and uh i said all right so i thought i have a job i get to be funny and if I don't like it, I can always change my major, do something else, and I'll have a degree. You know, I mean, you don't really need a degree to do radio, quite right. frankly. And my degree is in business management. Right. Uh, but uh, it was such a great time. And by the time I graduated college, I worked at a real working commercial radio station. I had three and a half years experience before I even graduated. Okay. You know, and I worked at two different stations while I was in college, and I did. I got to be funny, and then I get to parlay that. You know this from, you work on the radio, you get to do personal appearances. That parlayed into a local TV show in Cleveland. I ran my own side DJ service, so it was all things entertainment, and I always had a way to make people laugh. Now, when did you sit there and venture that first night on stage? Uh, I had done a, a, been on the radio for 11 years, and uh, radio ownership rules changed. You know this. In 1996, the Deregulation Act, uh, you know, just changed all the rules, and radio got real watered down and, you know, real lack of creativity, and the competition went away. So I'm like, you know what? I was never a Howard Stern. Like, I had to be number one in New York. I mean, I I had very, very good success over 11 years, but I'm like, I think I've done everything I really want to do with radio. Okay. And I just said, you know what? It's either New York or L.A. for stand-up, and I don't like the cold anymore. So I went. I, literally, I sold my business, uh, flew out here, stayed with a buddy, gave myself three days, found an apartment, flew back, sold all my stuff, and drove. Had you been to L.A. before? Nope. Okay, but you knew one. You had one friend out here, pretty much. Yep, yep. Okay. I had one friend, but I, did, you know, so when I came out here, I didn't really see him. I haven't seen him since. That's funny. He it was so nice to let me uh, stay at his house. And what's funny, I saw the movie L.A. Story back in Ohio when it came out with Steve Martin right. again. And I'm not lying; I pieced together where everything was in L.A. from that movie. I'd never been to L.A. before, and I remember being out here going, wow, all right, if that's the Hollywood sign, that must mean Santa Monica's this way. Never got lost. Never had to use a map, anything. I just felt like I'd been here because I'd seen that movie so many it's times. It's so funny you say that because I was sitting there, and I, I was talking on stage the other night. I was back in my hometown, and I said the difference between, you know, MC was a cop, and I said, you know, he looks like the cop on Southland or whatever. I, I love the show Southland. Oh, me too. But as I was explaining to the audience, it's like, I said, the only problem you people understand is when they have a call, the place is 10 miles away. They're there in five minutes. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you, can't, go, you can't go a half a mile in five minutes. No. I mean, when my girlfriend came out to visit, I picked her up. We went to lunch in uh, Malibu. Okay. And I'm sitting there and I, I knew her, but I didn't really, we talked on the phone, but I was like, it was awkward, you know? And sure. I, and um. We got just, she couldn't believe the traffic. We were, the traffic getting onto the 405, the ramp. Oh, yeah. She's like, can we go? Can we cut? cut? I go, no, it's like this everywhere. She's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and she used to be a private flight attendant. So she would be in LA in different cities, but it's just amazing with LA. And when you come out here, it's so funny because you, if you do watch the movies, you can see where stuff is, yeah. but it's not going to take you two minutes. It's going to take you about three hours. Yeah. Or I love the smash cuts they do, though. They'll have a call somewhere which you and I would know, like, all right, that's Venice. And they cut to, and you're like, what are you talking about? That's Los Feliz. And yeah. it's not even the same city. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's it sucks, just all for TV. It sucks for us because you've become like, like I saw, like, the, I think the, the uh, Regina King's character, yep. I think on the show, lives in 
Burbank. Right. And then all of a sudden I see LA cops coming. No, Burbank has their own police department. Yep. Like, get it right. Yeah. And, but people don't know that. But it's so funny because we get so spoiled living out here. I do. That you see stuff. And like my girlfriend loves, I went, we went to Bezos on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. And we were watching some shows. She's like, oh my God, it's Bezos or uh, NCIS Los Angeles. Uh, Olive Inn right down here. Olive Bistro. Okay. She's like, oh, I saw that place. And she's like, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, for us, it's like, yeah, you see the yeah. people see a shooting, you see the shooting show, you're like, yeah, it's probably just some local stupid ass commercial. Right. Uh, USC student film exactly right so you moved to LA now and now when did you were you afraid to start doing stand-up or did, were you writing material no before? I was not afraid I've never I've never been afraid to you know, jumping ahead everybody's like you know I get this from people and fans do you ever get nervous I have never been nervous a day in my life when it comes to public speaking stand-up comedy written none of that anxious yes like, come on let's do this so, yeah see I'm on this I, I get it I think my nervousness is anxiousness and it's also like for me because I don't perform that much anymore okay. and, but when I go you know I can still I go back into a 30-minute set no problem right. but I sit there and I'm worrying because I don't rehearse I don't look over notes I'm going what am I going to do but then when it comes up I just remember stuff I've written and I think it's a, that's my anxiousness am I going to be able to cover the time but I'm the same way I don't I don't really it's, it's it adds it feeds you yeah you know? it's mean, never even coming to the equation it just doesn't bother me so I, I came out here I'd probably performed maybe a dozen times in Ohio at my hometown club there it's a funny stop it used to be called Hilarities in oh, yeah. Ky- Cuyahoga Falls and then they had the one in Cleveland called right. Hilarities which is still now called Hilarities but uh, now they changed the one in Cuyahoga Falls do a funny stop i'm headlining there next month and uh <clears throat> they um i probably did a dozen shows there you know open uh, starting from open mic to hosting i think i maybe featured once but the feature set only had to be like 15 minutes okay so you had done stand-up before i had you done stand-up and like i said i've done thousands of personal appearances and, and stuff that i couldn't do on the radio whether it was too dirty or just wouldn't work for radio maybe it was a little bit more visual or something you have to be in that moment i had already done that so when i came out here i just i hit the ground running you know i mean i'd say i had a lot of success coming out of the gate no but i did the dance the open mics and you know the workout rooms and things like that but uh, as soon as i got here now was it must have been different for you doing the open mics and stuff because back in i'm sure when you were the dj if you had sat there and gone to the local comedy club because they knew you could have got on no problem. oh I, they said that's... and they would have promoted it like because they used to do that with like this one dj mark the shark in philadelphia awful i know that name he he was awful mark yeah. drucker he was he wasn't a stand-up but they right. would pay him and I'm, hey if someone said hey here's like 300 bucks and go do 10 minutes oh, on a friday night and i'm gonna drink for free and i'm like yeah. of course you're gonna do it of course and he would just get up and he was awful but for you someone who wanted to do it i mean it must have been weird because if anywhere where you were from if you had gone they would have put you up household now, name here, at home yeah here you're coming it's just you know you're no one knows who the hell you yeah. are maybe one kid from akron like, yeah. that you knew but they don't know you so were you was it hard for you to start getting stage time in the beginning uh no i just i'm really good at network i think comedians by definition I mean the good ones are the ones that are really appreciate the art they're charmers you charm your way you talk your way into things you make friends you know you know i i did i did some of the crappy ones i'll do i i had the uh mentality i'll play anywhere once and if it's really crappy i just won't go back right you know but uh you know just whether it, you had to bring people and promote or you know some of you had to pay 10 bucks to get in or something like that it's like fine i don't care you just i mean i'm new here i can't make any demands right my ego was intact and still is and uh and going back to what you said there i just realized the very first time i ever did stand up and it's pure sense uh, I was working on the radio and uh, it was at Hilarities Tom Rhodes was the headliner Tom was on a few weeks ago great guy oh and a genius writer He's, just amazing yeah. guest too just and the stories they, the, the comedy club's like would you like to do 10 minutes and I'm like okay and they're like are you sure I'm like yeah why not and I did 10 and I worked really hard at it was it great uh, no but was, it was really good and Tom got off uh, after he got off stage goes you know I've done so many of these shows with a local DJ like you said it was awful he says you really made my job a lot easier it says, you know, made, which made the features job easier which made right. my job easier you know so well, it's so funny that, in, and you know, you're a comedy veteran, which I posted on 
Facebook. I said two comedy veterans, Billy Barcena and Lou Santini, are coming on. And what I always talk to young comics about this, and I have no problem. For me, like, you know, if I say I want to do, want to do one of Bobby Oliver's shows, you know, right. at the Ice House, which if you can't do good in the Ice House, get out of business. No kidding. And they're like, do you want to go first? I'm like, yeah, because for me, I'd rather just get up, do it, and get the hell out I'll of there. I'll take the bullet. But a lot of, but I don't take, that's the thing. It's like, if you're a good comic, we all started out, when I started out, you had to host. Yeah. You did 15 minutes. There were three act shows. There wasn't eight acts uh, on a show. Eight. Some, I've done shows where there was 25 on a bill. Yeah. And so that's the thing. It's always, and that's great when you, when you, you have the confidence. If someone goes... Do you want to take the uh, the first spot? I'm like, yeah, but guess what? And I'm not. This is not being arrogant. It's because even when I was away from the business, I did it a lot. Now I'm back in. It all comes back to you. Right. I always say, yeah, but you know what? The second president's gonna have a hard time following me. Yeah. And then and that's not being arrogant. It's like you know you have to sit there and put your show because your, your MC should always be one of your strongest acts. Absolutely. And people don't get that because you're and like you and you were known and it was easier probably because they're like, oh yeah, we know Lou from the radio. Right. But but you also had your head. You weren't just like, hey, uh, yeah. hey, how many do you know stupid jokes? Right. So but you learned at a you know. You got that skill probably very early. And MC, well, not only that, when you're the MC and the host of a show, you have to know how to do crowd work, right. adjust with the changes. Uh, you know, and if you're if you're if you're hosting a three comic show, well, chances are it's host, feature, headliner. Well, then those other comics are probably pretty good anyway because they're booked. Right. But out here, if you're hosting a show that has you know anywhere from six to twelve comedians on there, some could be great, some could suck, and you have to have that fine line. You're the host. You're going in between all the comedians. If they suck, you have to still kind of acknowledge it without crushing the other comedian, the, the right. former comedian's soul. But you have to kind of tease them and make fun of it on the other hand and you have to get them back and you have to do it in about 60 seconds so the next comedian can get ready for his set right you know and if the comedian did great come in suck it up don't do any jokes ride the wave get the next comic on there right away keep that energy up it's funny to say because i've worked shows and some guy booked me on the show and i said i'll host it you know it's, sure it was right around the corners in burbank and uh he's like well no, don't do any time between i'm like you don't know how to run a show yeah, I said you've been doing comedy for six months. You yeah, know, you're basically you're an open micer. No, I'm going to go feature. So, you know, you're an open micer. Right. Same people sitting there and go, "Can I do a radio show?" I go, "Well, no. well, why not?" And I'm like, "Well, because uh, you're an open micer." Yeah. But so okay, so you come out here now. You're starting to do the stand up. Mm-hmm. Now, are you are you really enjoying it? Oh yeah, okay. I, I've never. I, look, I mean, look, we've all had our bad sets, and have I ever quit? No. I, the longest hiatus ever took was probably four months. Okay. And that was just because the holidays, and I got a little bummed out during the holidays once, where it had nothing to do with stand up. But I've never quit. I've never. I've had busier months than others you know but uh i've i've always been very confident in my abilities and i always i always tell i coach a lot of comedians one-on-one and i tell them the the best set of your life and the worst set of your life is not who you are it's somewhere in the middle and what you want to shoot for is consistency when you book lou santini on a show this is the one time i will talk about myself in the third person if you book me 10 times seven out of 10 i'm gonna kill it Numbers eight and nine, I'll be pretty solid. And like anybody from Chris Rock to Jerry Seinfeld, you're going to have that bad night. Right. What the tough comics to, to get work out here, the ones like, really good, ate it. Really good, did okay, ate it, did really good. Up and down, like you never, those comedians where you never know what you're going to get. Right. Those are the guys and girls who just have a hard time getting work. And those are the ones that want to come on your show. They're not reliable. They need to right. know how to you know, carry a conversation yeah. and, and, and be funny and talk. See, it's funny you say consistency because that's one of the things when I was back east that's one booker Ray Sapolo was the first guy who ever headlined me at a club actually Tracy's the Bowman I think it now it's like Magoobies or something like that Okay, but he always said he goes I'm headlining because he goes he goes you don't kill he goes but damn you're consistent yep. he goes you, you never do bad right and he said you know what and I it's the same thing I don't 
you don't have to kill. The thing is, people are going to enjoy, if you're laughing, ha, 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 or laughing, ha, 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 you're still laughing. Right. And that's the whole thing. If you're not laughing, then you have a problem. Yeah. And the other thing, too, I tell a lot of new comedians, the audience is rooting for you. All right, so you're going to have that one a-hole crowd that just wants to boo and just be drunk and jerks. Those don't count, because those are just bad people. But they paid, especially in L.A., you know, 15 bucks to park and, you know, fought traffic for an hour one way, and they bought two-item minimum, and they paid their admission price. They, they want you to do well. So relax. They're there to see you. You're not there to see them. Right. You know, they work They work for you in a sense. So let them earn it. Yeah. So okay. So, so you were you were doing the stand-up. You're you're consistent act, but you were doing it out here. Yep. So now when do you start branching out to going on the road? When, do you, when does your career go from open micer to being even a feature? I mean, yeah. or, or even an opener on the road. I don't know how right. it was out here because back east, you could make money right. going to these shit. They paid back then. Right, right. But what, how did, how did, and how did that happen? I was career? very lucky in two aspects. One, I, uh, well, one wasn't really luck, but I had, a, I had a pretty decent day job. I started off there as a temp. I was creative director and marketing director at an architectural construction firm. And I started off as a temp, just, you know, helping out. Next thing you know, I'd been there for a while. And because it wasn't my career, they eventually, after a couple years, you know, they, uh, they made, they made me. They, they gave me this uh, one-man department uh, title and a huge amount of money and uh, health benefits and all that stuff. But they didn't quite pay me as much as the market dictated. But the trade-off was is they knew I could literally call them one more at eight a.m. I have to be at nine and go. Can't come in today. I just got booked to go on the road. I mean, like that. Okay. And they're like, okay, fine. But they knew, you know. And all right, so I didn't get paid that week at that job, but then I got to get paid to be on the road. So going back, I also knew there was a part where I'm like, you know what? The power of no. I'm going to start turning down these bringer shows. I'm past that. I knew when I was. It wasn't after six months. It was probably after two or three years. I just said, you know, I'll still do shows where people bring, but I'm not going to whore myself out and promote. And this is before the days of MySpace and Facebook and stuff. Friends. So it was a lot harder. You so it was a lot harder. Social media. Yeah, you were calling people. You had email, but you were calling people and sending emails out trying to get people to your shows. So uh, eventually, I just made this conscious decision. Like, okay, I'm, I I wasn't saying I'm good enough to be on the road, but I said, you know what? No more bringer shows. I'm not going. You know, you you play to the level of your competition. If you're on, a, I find that if I'm on a bill with a bunch of crappy comics, I'm not quite as good. And if I'm playing with guys who are way above me, I'm not as good as them. But damn, I'm bringing my A game. I'm bringing some to. really good stuff. You have to. And because if you go up after and you don't have, the, you're on your A game. You're gonna, you're, right. you're gonna bomb. You're gonna bomb. And there's nothing like exactly when right. Acts do good, 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 bomb, good, right. good. You walk out, you feel like crap. Right, right. So then eventually, uh, as I was working this day job, and then. Uh, I just started featuring. I just started uh, hustling and sending out emails to every comedy club. And I, you know, so many comedians, they want to jump right to Headliner. You haven't even hosted yet. Right. You know, and I had a few thousand shows under my belt at the time. And I just remember saying, it's like, I even put in there and said, I would love to feature at your club. I will even host. You know, and I, and the hosting doesn't pay. Hosting's always a local guy, you know right. this, and they, they're not. But I just I just wanted to get it. Just show me what. I, but I promise. And one of the first uh, clubs to ever give me a, a break as a headliner was Ruth Ann Herber at Crackers Comedy Club in Indianapolis. Okay, now the Crackers. I think years ago, there was booked by someone else, a, a lady. I forget. They used to do a TV show from there. Oh, really? Comedy. Yeah, I forget. So Crackers was in Indianapolis. They, Indianapolis, and uh, she. Uh, I featured for. Couldn't tell you his name. I feel bad. I couldn't tell you his name. But anyway, I featured for this guy. And I admit, I just, I leveled the room. All, every show, just crushed it. And the headliner was totally secure. And he was like, you're doing a great job for me. Thank you. And I asked Ruth Ann. And she was right to do this. I said, so maybe next time I come back on a headline? She's like, no. And she said, uh, she goes, well, I'll tell you what. I'll have you come back again. And just so we know this wasn't a fluke, if you do just as well the next time as a feature, I will headline you. And I'll headline you at my other club, my, the better club. And I, I was like, deal. Shook hands on it. 
And I did exactly what she said. I did the same thing. I tightened up my set, blah, blah, blah. And she eventually headlined me. You know, she was really good. So that's over the course of, you know, a few years, of course. But uh, Wendy Liebman was the first uh, big, big name that I ever featured for in my hometown, no less. And she couldn't have been a better... Well, she's so sweet, and it's so funny. I mean, this is how people, and you've heard Wendy, if you listen to the show, she's been on a few times. This is how cool she is. Now, you don't understand, people don't understand comedy. Like, my, a friend of mine, I don't know if you, do you know a guy named Jeff Martyr? I do not. Jeff was uh, on The Tonight Show three times. He just got completely out of business. He used to do the right side and left side of the brain. Okay. And he was on so many shows. And Jeff was talking about her, and we were just saying how, you know, and he was saying how she was, you know, when you look at female comics, there's like Ellen DeGeneres, Rita mm. Rudner, and Wendy at that time. And she's such a sweet person that my guest canceled, and I'd never met her, and she goes, can I do the second hour? And I said, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, yeah. And that's just the kind of person she is, and she's very cool like that. And it's cool you got to work with a headliner. It would have sucked if you worked with a big name who was a jerk. Yeah. I would have like thrown you off game like that with an asshole. Well, that's funny, too, because that's how I knew I was ready to headline. I had literally seven consecutive bookings where the headliner at one point said, can you pull it back a little bit? Okay. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How do you, first of all, how do you take a dive in comedy? How, uh, yeah. how, how do you do that? <laughs> I've never heard of that. I don't that. understand. Well, how do you do that, though? I mean, like, do I get drunk before I mess up a punch? I mean, I, how do you, whoops, I forgot. You just, there's just no way around it. I, mean, I was doing well. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, that's like seven weeks in a row. It wasn't seven consecutive shows. It's like if I was booked at a club for a week, there's always one show each week where the headliner said, can you dial it down a little bit? And I wasn't working dirty. I was always, always have been very respectful of when I featured, hey, is there certain jokes I should? Right. do uh do you want me to work squeaky clean you know what can i do i i feature for paul riser at the brea improv uh six months ago right and it was his first time ever performing in like 15 years okay and uh he handpicked me he handpicked me he asked me you know he, he called my manager and he showed him like 12 15 comedians on our roster he's like that guy so he picked me right so i get there and i said uh, how much time do you want me to do he says i don't know what do you want to do and i said well i do whatever you want i'm just right. trying to be respectful because you know he was he wasn't nervous it was just his first it was return it was a sold out show and i said uh, i'll do 30 and i said what are the rules and he goes what do you mean i said squeaky clean pg pg 13 18 no f-bombs no is there subject matter you don't i said i don't want to step on any of your bits and he goes, man, I never had this kind of courtesy when I was working the road hard. You know, and I said, I, I respect the, the pecking order here. And he goes, you do what you do. I said, well, I will tell you this. My closing bit, I can do it without saying the F word, but it works better with it. But I have no problem. He goes, go ahead. And I did, and it worked, and it didn't affect his set one right. bit. But he just appreciated the, the effort that I, you know, that I made like that. See, that's cool. That's nice. A lot of people, you know, don't do that. And it's good. I mean, it's so funny, but like with like Riser, I mean, nothing phases those guys. Because, no. you know, when they were doing comedy, it was with, you know... Seinfeld and every, I mean that was their group you know so right. you you learn at a young age you have to follow else you're not getting stage time it's not right. like now it's like if you have a shitty crap if you have a crappy set and you bring eight people no one cares they'll book you again right. and it's like huh wait, wait. And, you know I can't get booked but this for you but they bring people well, I'm not gonna bring I won't, it's like me I'm so bad that I sit there and someone's like well come do my show I'm like you know what I'm not gonna drive 20 miles to do seven minutes. I said, you know, I can go, no, I I, I can go home. I get to do 30, even like a guest set. Like I'm doing a guest set in two Fridays at this club in, right. uh, in Marlton, New Jersey. Marlton Comedy Cabaret, people. And I, call, I said, he goes, it's already booked. I said, I just want to do a guest set. It's right around the corner from my girlfriend's house. So I would do eight. That'd be sure. fine. But he goes, do you want to do 15? I'm like, 
Hell yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm not getting paid. I don't care. I'll sell a t-shirt. It's after. funny how that works, especially in LA, because I said, you know, I, I do so many shows. When can I come see you perform again? And then you tell them. And it's like, look, I don't want to waste anyone's time. And I mean this in Los Angeles, because you know how traffic is and, and, and traffic and the cost and the, and the, there's 6,000 comedians in Los Angeles, literally okay. six from yeah. the, from your open <coughs> micer to your Jerry Seinfelds and Chris Rocks. There's 6,000 comedians competing. So you never know what the talent pool is going to be. And uh, I would tell, you know, I say, look, I'm not going to waste your time to come watch me do a, what I call a showcase spot anyway from 5 to 12 minutes. So when I come out here and I'm doing 20, 25 or more, then I will invite you out or whatever. Right. I headline here at Flappers and Burbank. I got another weekend coming up here in December. You know, I do a lot more corporate stuff too and I can't have right, <laughs> the you public have showing up at, at corporate events. So, uh, you know, I, you pick and choose your moments where it's funny how that's come before. It's like, when you first start out, you want everyone to come to every show. If it's a coffee shop on a Sunday afternoon, you want them coming. Now right. it's like, no, don't come to that one. That one's, that, right. don't waste your time on that one. So you sit there, so you're on the road, you're starting to headline. Now, when did you start? I know you did, uh, you have a background in radio, but then right. you also went into hosting. Now, was that was that ever in your plan to be a host? Oh, That's I love something it. something you thought about it? I think I could be one of the few people, my dream job would be a game show host. Drew Carey, if you're listening, if you ever want a, a, a fill-in for The Price is Right, call me. Well, it's funny, as my friend Jeff Marder I talked about, he used to host a show on NBC. It was a late-night dating game back in the, I forget what it's called, uh, back in the 80s, and uh early 90s and he said it was such a great gig because you go in you would tape all five shows yep. in one day and you still had your life and you get paid a crap load of money yep. and then you have the rest of the week off and you can go on the road well the reason I like game shows in particular it reminds me a lot of, of radio Half half your job is the same all the time. Some nice consistency. Like for, for example, the price is right. You have the games, the rules never change. You know, the, the price there's a certain order of the, how things are done on the show. The other half of that job is anything could happen because your contestants come on. You don't know what they'll say or do, those kind of things too. So game show hosting is always just I, I would love to do that. I've I've hosted many different types of shows, whether they're, you know, uh, you know, infomercials or actual uh, shows online, uh, some stuff on TV. I have another one that uh, a fellow comedian and I are pitching right now. Um, to get on there, kind of like uh, sex soup. Okay, you know, what I mean, we have the soup. There's been web soup and sports, uh, you know, sports soup and you know, Tosh Point oh, those kind of things. This is like sex, world, weird sex stories from around the world. So we're pitching that right now. Um, so yeah, hosting. I just I, I've done a lot of stuff for Reels Channel, uh, a lot of man in the street stuff, which I love. I mean, I honestly, if it, I mean, it pays well. But if it was a consistent gig that paid more, I would think I could do it for the rest of my life. I love it. It's, just, it's so much fun to. You're kind of making fun of people, but you're also letting them enjoy the process. I'm not, I've never been a bully and mean to people right. uh, uh, when I do that. It's like doing crowd work, except on television. It really right. is. And I love doing crowd work. Was it, uh, uh, help me, brain fart here. Uh, he died at a very young age uh, of cancer, uh, comedian. Schimmel? Uh No. Uh, well, he had that tattoo, but... Um, he didn't die of cancer. Ah, why am I can't think of this guy's name? But, he, he was, Lenny Bruce was a big influence on this guy. Anyway, he said, uh, Bill Hicks. Sorry, there oh, you Hicks, go. Sorry, Bill yeah. Hicks. He said, your act is what you uh, do when you have nothing else to say. You know, and that's that's it's, it all, ask any comedian their favorite moments are when they're stepping away from their act or they're doing crowd work. Right. Then they know this is going great. Now I can go back to my my jokes, which I know work. And the funny thing about crowd work, and I've always noticed this, and I tell people this. So people, this is just so you know, I'm breaking a, a comedian like a magician <laughs> secret. A lot of times when we do crowd work, we've done it before. Yeah, you have a bit, but that that you but you wrote the first time right. from that. I do a stupid bit whenever I see a guy with a big beard in the crowd. I call him Duck Dynasty, right? And I'll just come back to him. And people think it's original, right? And I just, I just think because it's just, I hate, I can't stand people with huge beards. I, I, they make me laugh. Hey, say, say what you want about that, though, but that to me is the mark of a pro. I always tell a lot of young comedians, you know, if you're playing a room you've never played before, get there early, like yep. before anyone.
everyone gets there. Go get up, get a chance to stand up on the stage, know where your light is. See, say how you know. I anytime I go to a, a club I've never performed at, I'm like, can I see what the lights will look like while I'm on stage? I want to know how many rows back can I see people? Right. You know, is this what the temperature is going to be like? Is this how is this going to be lit? Uh, and then I <laughs> and then and then the comedians who were on before me, whether it's the host and the feature, I watch their sets from the back of the room, the side of the stage, and then back uh, from backstage if I can possibly do it. Because you want to see, ooh, those two guys are really laughing hard. Oh, that fat right. lady really is digging it. Oh, that's a whole group of girls from bachelor party, whatever. And you know what's working, what's not working, and then you can play with that. And then you have those jokes, like what you were talking about, and they seem like they're off the cuff, and, but, but you're ready. Yep, you're ready. So okay, yeah, I mean that's great. You know, you you do you have a very technical view of it, which is you know I wish a lot of comics did. But so now, okay, now you're doing you're doing the the comedy on the road mm-hmm. now. When do you start getting management? Start getting work? How does how do you do the transition? Though, you know what? All these years, I've I've always booked it myself. Okay. On the road. I mean, I have, I'm with a, a new management company now, but they represent me more for television, acting, hosting. You know, and of course, stand up comedy for TV, those kind of things. But uh, you know, and I'm, I'm relatively new with them. But everything else, I've booked on my own, and just you know, a good reputation goes a long way. So, is there certain cities you love playing that you sit there and go? Gotta have to get back to that yeah. place. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know why. Houston was my first standing ovation. Okay, uh, at, at the at the at the last stop there, and uh, uh, and I. I Sometimes when you watch a standing ovation, all it takes is one person in the front row, and then everyone feels like, right. and I guess i got to stand up too now. My st- standing ovation started in the back. See, that's so cool. No, so no one knew that it was happening. It was from the back, and I remember getting really choked up. I'm like, really? Wow. I mean, I knew I was having a good set, but I actually, uh, you know, I just I love playing that room. Uh, I also like uh, Rooster Tea Feathers up in, uh, up in San Jose. Love that room a lot. Um, my very first club ever, Chats Comedy Club in Pittsburgh. But I mean, I don't know if that's even around anymore. Isn't, isn't wasn't it the Schneider Brothers? Weren't they the big guys in Pittsburgh, like the Funny Bone or something like that? Uh, could have been. I said it could have been. Do you there. ever go back to Pittsburgh? Uh, it has. It's been a while. I've done some corporate stuff there, okay. but not uh, not 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 the clubs. Um, see, my hometown is great. I mean, the funny stop there and hilarities in Cleveland also is just. I mean, hilarities in Cleveland could be the nicest comedy club. Why there are not more like Comedy Central and HBO special shot there? It's so perfect for. For, okay. for 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 TV and it's just a beautiful theater, a million different angles, just a very elegant and you know nice, and it's just a nice night out for the for the customers because you pull in, you have your drinks, then you go to this really nice restaurant, you watch the comedy club, and then you walk over to the martini bar. It's all one night, all in one place. Okay, you know. So now, okay, you you you, you talked about doing corporate. What at what point did you say I'm going to do corporate gigs? Because I've had a lot of comics come on, like Wayne Cotter, Don McMillan. Oh, Wayne Cotter, love They're that just, guy. Uh, he's a he started out in Philly yeah. and he's from New York, but a lot of them do Tom Dreesen. They all do a lot. Of corporate and uh, yeah, what made you make the transition into corporate? Because it's quite different. I mean, I guess with your background as being a host and stuff yep. like that, it's good. But what did you, is it something that you sought you you were seeking out to do, or is it something that someone said, "Hey, Lou, you should do corporate"? Yeah, you know what? It's funny. It's like uh, I did a show with the Hollywood Improv, and uh, an older guy came up to me and he said, "Because uh, I worked I, that night, I probably worked especially clean for whatever reason." And uh, he came in and says, "Do you ever do corporate events?" And I never had. And I said, "Oh, absolutely." Okay. <laughs> you know, and he didn't know. And uh, he and he said, "We could only pay you like two thousand dollars." Like, oh, really? That all for fifteen minutes of work? Okay, maybe I'll try that. So I said, "Yeah." I said, "You know, let me get back to you, check my calendar," which of course was wide open. And uh, you know, I got back to him. I wasn't worried about doing it. Uh, I wasn't nervous about the crowd I, what's odd is a lot of these corporate gigs ask anybody they're not at a comedy club setting right I mean, I'm doing one next week at 5 in the afternoon on a weekday why would you do that but right. that's when they have this space available or when they have their event you, I did one at 11am on a Wednesday once 12 people 
And it was uh, clearly a very conservative uh, crowd. All men had the exact same color suits, shirts, and ties on, and the women had all the skirts below the knees. And uh, they had literally just got done doing like their quarterly financial report or something, and it was a podium mic with a mic that was built into the podium, and you couldn't move it. And I move around a lot. I walk around. Right. The microphone sounded like this. And uh, they did that, and they, the introduction was it literally is like, and now comedians. I mean, it was, like, it was awful. Yeah, I, I did that at uh, my girlfriend's Christmas party, and that's how I got back in touch with her because she knew I did comedy. She right. lives back east. I was going to do it last year, but I booked my friend Joe Madaris because I said, this guy's local, you know. You know. And I went in, and I, I was nervous because, right. one, they're paying me. Sure. Two, I'm her boyfriend. Sure. Three, if I suck, you know, they see my tape, but if I suck, she's right. like an idiot. And, but the same thing, you go in, and there's like no lighting, and it's like this Mr. Microphone. Oh, thing, yeah. And you're like, no mic stand. And I put the mic back in the stand sometimes, you know? Yep. But it's weird. You, you That's when you, you really have to, it's hard. I mean, it, corporate stuff, they pay you great, but there's a reason because you really have to adapt. I mean, I, that's the thing. I can honestly say I've never killed at a corporate event. <laughs> I've had great sets and but so, and a lot of the worst shows of my life, and when I say worst shows, I don't mean like the audience response, just like in terms of how hard it was to drag a laugh out of people or how hard it was to adapt have always been at corporate events, which is why they pay well. And the other, I always tell a lot of my friends doing corporate stuff and they get nervous. I'm like, what if it's like I said, I said, this is why you write up a simple contract, you get half of their money down, and if it sucks or whatever, you can always, you know, take them to I've never had an issue with that. The main thing is, if you suck, what? You're never going to get booked at a right. <laughs> their corporate gig There's, not, there's not big talk like IBM goes, oh, don't, hey, right. hey, uh, hey, Apple, don't book that guy right. Santini. Oh, my God, he stunk I up know. the room. Like, oh, no, I'm blackballed from the, you know, the Denny's corporate function now. You know. Now, how many corporate shows do you think you do a year? Uh, you know, what's, 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 what, what sucks is that before the economic crash in 2008, I was probably doing 50 a year. Which, you know, you get three good ones and your year's paid for. Right. You know, is anything else is gravy. After the recession, 12 a year. Okay. You know, and it's slowly coming back. And, of course, November, December, January, your busiest months for the holidays. You know, a lot of a lot more corporate stuff in January because these corporations, like if you're a husband and a wife and you both have jobs, you have to go to each other's Christmas functions and they can't do that. You know, they, they're not available. So, and then they, and in January, a lot of these companies can get... Uh, you know, convention centers or, or banquet halls and stuff way cheaper because the holidays are over and then they come into that. So November, December, January is always my gravy months. I rarely do clubs during those months. How do you sit there and go about getting the corporate gigs? Though? Do you, you know sit what, there? It, going back, I'm sorry, I kind of uh, got, got off track there. When that first guy asked me to do one, well, the thing is he had a corporate event. Well, all those people at that corporate event had spouses that worked at other companies. Okay. And they said, hey, could you play our thing? And literally, I remember I got my first 12 corporate gigs like within three months. All right. And it just spread that way. And the next thing you know, I just started... Like sending out emails and using, you know, social media had been kicking in. I've been doing it for a while. By then, I was probably uh, just started headlining. And uh, I just started using MySpace and LinkedIn and emails and thinking about who do I know that works a boring office job? And I use the word boring because they needed that laugh. You right. know what I mean? And it just kind of uh, blossomed from there. You know, it really did. And they, these corporate stand, I've done corporate I've corporate gigs where I'm just doing pure stand-up, come in, do 20 minutes or 45 or an hour, whatever it is, and other ones where I've gone on the road with the company for four days, Hewlett-Packard, Qualcomm, these companies, and I'll be their master of ceremonies for everything. Okay. So if they, you know, it could be, you know, starting at the, on the convention floor, crowd gathering, being jokes, doing their presentation, being funny, talking, schmoozing with the crowd afterwards, and then going again, and then after the, the suits and ties come off and stuff, their after parties and their giveaways and that kind of stuff, too, where I'm just the guy to go to now do you enjoy that or is it oh, i mean yes. i mean do you enjoy the i mean because sometimes i mean i used to do a job i in malibu at a uh it was the calamigos ranch yeah i've done, I've done a few events there too and i used to do they had the company picnics yep and we would sit there they would hire us and we would ha we would make sure the kids were working cooking the barbecue yep and we would sit there and talk to the crowd and run the games uh-huh and sometimes it's just like you, you, 
it, it was sort of, we get boring to me at sometimes. Yeah. I mean, does it, does it Never. ever? Okay. Never. And you know, tell you what, one of my most, two of my most rewarding gigs were corporate gigs where I know I, as a comedian, you, you worry about, you know, whether you've been doing it five years or 55 years, you can plateau. You feel like I'm not getting any funnier. I'm not getting any better. I need to take it up a notch or whatever. And then I tell you what, four days at Hewlett Packard in Vegas, my days would start. I'd be on stage in front of, there are 50,000, no, 100,000 people at this convention. On stage at 8 a.m., and I would I did 27 shows in three days. How long were your shows? 20 though? minutes. Twenty Same show? Nine, nine a day. Same shows? Yep. Those goes people, different people coming same in. Same show, different people coming in. And, and they only allowed so many people per okay. thing like that. Not counting the stuff I did, the after parties, those kind of things, too. And you get good, quick. Oh, yeah. And you're doing it during the day, suit and tie with a headset mic instead of holding a mic. you know. And you're still having to talk about their product at that time, Hewlett Packard and the technology stuff or whatever, and then still being funny. Man, you want to talk about uh, boot camp. It's just great. And then you come back to a club, people who were there to see a comedy show, <laughs> that's nothing. Right, yeah, it's, I can it, imagine it, it's so It's so it's so much better. Now, what was your first hosting job? On TV? Yes. Well, uh, well you were at radio, so that's, that's somewhat right. hosting. Yeah. But, I mean, it's so funny. I was uh, first time you would be like, oh, I was, uh, I was eight. It, yeah. was, it, was the, it was the county uh, yeah. that the state at the farm right. at the fair. Now, the, my first TV hosting job was a show called uh, North Coast Rocks in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. It was like M- the MTV uh, that was local. Music videos and local artists, local bands, local local everything. It was, it was like a localized MTV. I loved doing it. You know, a lot of, a lot of on-location stuff, some in-studio stuff. So that was my first one there. I had a great time with that. I look back and my hair was oof, long and blonde. It's crazy. I used to have the, the uh, Dave yeah. Collier cut. I, if there's a bad hairstyle, I've had it. The See, Kevin Bacon Footloose thing. Oh. I've had the, uh, the, the the Michael Bolton with you tie it in the back back See, there. My but, problem with the Kevin Bacon thing, just my hair wouldn't spike right. Mine like, either. Like, I remember I went one time to a barber. I went to this fat lady named Phil. I just remember she was in Voorhees, New Jersey. My mom found it. Because my mom took me to the beauty school once. When I was like in sixth grade, I had long hair. Like, right. And like I had like, I looked like Oliver from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and the lady screwed up and she gave me a Dorothy Hamill wedge. And I went Whoa. back because I said to the ear, but it was down here. And she went to the ear, the top of the ear. And I went to school, man. And I How got bad razzed. did you get beat up? Oh, but then the funny thing is, not funny, but the next day I got mono. It was out for six weeks and so my hair grew back. So oh. I forgot about it. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, no. uh, so other hosting stuff around here. I did a lot of stuff for a TV guide channel, uh, talking head, uh, things like that. Yeah, I've done so many infomercials, but I mean, at least they brought me in, you know, because they always had, they always, they always bring me in as like, well, let's have the knowledgeable guy or girl, and now let's bring this, we'll bring Lou in for the personality and the funny. Okay. Uh, so about, about mateone.com, a dating site, website, a lot of home mortgage stuff, and then I, I, Ultimate Shopping Network, which is now gone, it's defunct, but it was like, uh, it was like home shopping or one of those, it was the Ultimate Shopping Network, it was all jewelry, and uh I, told, I flat out told him, said, I know nothing about jewelry. I should have you know that. And I'm like, why did you call me? He says, because we just, we saw your, we just, we're, uh, someone who had worked there had seen me perform at a club. They found my website. They saw my hosting wheel and they said, let's bring him in. They had girls and guys there that knew about jewelry, but they brought me in for the emotional aspect to, to make, ah, come on, reach for your wallet, that kind of thing. Four or five hours a day, no break, no break. And uh, they just let me be funny. They just let me be funny. And I, I learned a few things about jewelry, that kind of thing, too. Great job. It was actually in the uh, Nakatomi Towers where they filmed Die Hard down there in Century City. You know what's it, funny? When, it was. You, when you talk about the thing, I had a guest on a few weeks, and I had a last-minute cancellation, and my friend referred to her name as Michelle, Michelle Mohan. I can't remember her last name, but she did the hosting like that. And she yeah. was in Atlanta. And she said, it's just crazy because she goes, she didn't know anything either. Right. She just told it like it is. Like, yeah. like, they had a really ugly piece. She goes, I'm going to tell people this is ugly. Let's see how many I can sell. And people buy into that. Right. 
Yeah, so I've always, I, you know, I said the, what I, you know, I think I'd be the first com- person in Hollywood rather host the Oscars than win an Oscar. Okay, I really would. I mean, it's like not that I would turn that down either. And I, I do like acting, and I've, uh, I've dipped my toe into that, and I'm getting better and better, and uh, I got some things on the horizon there. But uh, I just, I love hosting. You know, I just, I just, you watch that, and to me, the best host ever of the Oscars was Steve Martin. I, you know, I'm. He, I, I was sorry. The, the show was under three hours. It was funny. It wasn't corny. It was witty. The crowd, the, the Hollywood people loved him. He was respectful, but he just, just a genius. I'm still one of those people, and I am. I will stick to this. You're gonna say Billy Crystal? No. Who? Letterman. I love when Letterman hosted the Oscars. Yeah, I honestly can't remember liking him or not. I don't. Oh, really and remember. he did that thing. You know, I want to buy a monkey because his whole thing was he had his line and Cabin sure. Boy goes, "You want to buy a monkey?" Right. And everyone, Paul Newman, Rosie O'Donnell, all of them, they did a <laughs> sketch going, "You want to buy a monkey?" Robin Williams, "Hey, you want to buy a monkey?" It was. Right. I, I thought he was great. People would go, and I had a conversation with the guy last night because I just hate Letterman. I'm like, why? Letterman's so good. Yeah, who hates Letterman? I know he's like. Oh, oh, he's, yeah. I'm like, yeah, someone asked me the other day who my favorite uh, late night, and I said, "Look, I think Conan O'Brien is the funniest overall. Letterman, I think, is the best interviewer. Jay Leno, of course, is the stand-up." You know, his, I think you know his 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 opening monologue, and then of course you have the uh, you know his. Uh, yeah, you know, and I you know, and I I don't, I admittedly don't I have nothing against these guys. I just don't watch a lot of late night TV, so I don't. You know, I, I like Kimmel; he's very dry. You know, Jimmy Fallon, and I think there's uh, there's room for everybody now. I like Fallon. I didn't like him at first. I don't yeah, know I think a lot of people didn't. I, I, I think because his he did the, even though he did comedy, he really doesn't know how to deliver a monologue. Right, but when he does those those musical bits yeah. and some of things. That's he's so house. amazing That's I mean house. you sit there like Bob Dylan singing Charles in Charge yeah. I mean you sit there and go God and they have it right down to the, the video and, mm-hmm. and it's and I've really gotten to like him he's just he's one of those guys he's nice to the guests I mean he's like he's in awe like like Springsteen was on for a whole week I'm a huge Springsteen fan sure. Timberlake was on for a whole week who does that right. and it just says but it says, I think, a lot about what kind of guy he is. He's got to be a really nice guy. He is. And uh, I've read a lot about Conan, a lot of interviews from Conan. He just has his head on straight. And talk, I'm sorry, I'm an all, my Simpsons is my all-time favorite show. Anyone who's written on The Simpsons during its like absolute peak is okay in my book. Right. You know, I mean, just I, I would if I met Conan, I think I would really annoy him because I'd have so many Simpsons questions. So I have to like make a point of like, just shut up and just... See, it's funny you say that. I actually went to a taping with Conan. My girlfriend really likes Conan. And uh, Brian Kiley, you probably know, you mm-hmm. know he was on the show. And, I, and Brian's a very sweet guy. And I just sent him an email. I said, you know, hey, is there any chance? I don't you know if there's a chance. Oh, yeah. Boom. We have VIP tickets. Oh, so wow. You feel like a jerk because everyone's in line. You just walk right up front. <laughs> I never feel but, like a jerk when I cut in line. But the taping was uh, it was fun. And I know Jimmy. Jimmy Pardo has been on the show. He did the warm-up. Have you ever thought, have you ever done warm-up for crowds? No, you- man. I would love to do that. And by the way, Jimmy Pardo, why that guy never hosted his own show. That guy is awesome. I think because he's short. I think people, I, just I, think- I think that might be the reason. Though, really? He's a good-looking guy. Oh, good-looking guy. Funny. He reminds me of like the old-school 50s. Jack Parr look for right. some reason. I don't Very know why. Conservative. Yeah, Very conservative. The same thing. I think. I think it might be his height because Jimmy's like five five. Yeah. Yeah. I think and Hollywood doesn't want to see that. Yeah, and you, it's funny. That's just that's that's weird. So why haven't you done crowd warm? Because you you do these corporate gigs. You have a good name. You're a good headliner. You host. I would think it's all okay. This guy does all this. Yeah. Because you know Gary Cannon. Yep. He was on a few weeks yep. ago. Yeah, I know Gary. He works, does Sullivan and Son. He's done the stuff. And he Jay said, Flats does some stuff. So, too. I mean, what, has something you have That one, I mean, look, I, I hate to be that guy. It's like, well, you got to know somebody. It's not a complaint. It's just, it seems like a lot of these guys get those jobs because they know a producer, so, someone, somehow, some way. You know, I don't see a lot of uh, breakdowns where they're like, okay. hey, we need a warm up because you'd have 6,000 comedians, comedians knocking on the door. They want to find someone they know and trust, someone who's a veteran. You know, Gary Cannon's very skilled, great writer, you know, and uh, Jay Flats. I thought, was he, uh, 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 not, not, not American Idol. I forget one. Mark Cohen used to do a lot of them. Too. Yep, yep, yep. 
Now, what is those guys? I'm seeing the seat, but what is those guys? Uh, my friend Scott Tommaso and uh, Sam Labrati and Sam Batok, they uh, produce this show. It's, uh, it's a web series that I'm on. I'm one of the, one of the regulars on there. And it's just about uh, you know, a group of guys, all of them with their own problems. They have, you know, one guy won't grow up. One's a little bit kind of a gun nut crazy cop. One's a womanizer. You know, I'm, I'm always the voice of reason, which is great because they let me. They let us all play. They give us a script. They kind of give us a like, kind of like curb your enthusiasm. Right? Here's what we're starting. Get to here. Okay. Here's the, here's some words you might want to say, but try to get to here. So let us improvise a lot, and I get to showcase my sarcasm and my, uh, you know, my talents there. Now, do you do you enjoy acting? I mean, I do. I, mean, I do. And I, I, not as much as stand up, and not as much as hosting, because as a control freak, because as a comedian, you know this. You're the writer, actor, producer, right. choreographer, editor, everything. It's all on you. It's a good feeling. When the first time I, I took acting class when I first got here for three or four years, liked it, did well. Think I have a real penchant for drama as well, and I hate to be one of those guys like, why do the comedians always want to be dramatic? It's not that I want to. I just know I can do it. Well, I think the most comics parlay over good in the drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so then I, I did more sketch and improv for a while, always doing stand-up. And then recently I've been, uh, over the last couple of years, with a really good acting studio, a very reputable one where I've learned more in two years, not only about acting, but about the business than I have in the 15 that I've been here. And... Uh, um, so yeah, so just uh, I really I enjoy it. You know, just I, you get to do stuff you don't get to do. I don't do characters in my act, right? So you know, you get to be people that you normally wouldn't be, and you know, work with good-looking women and, and interesting guys, and you know, action stuff and dramatic stuff. And why wouldn't you? You get to play, right? You get to play now. Do you do a lot of commercial auditions? Do you get com- yes? Well, I just signed with a new one, uh, a new agency as well. So I just literally a couple weeks ago, so I've only been out on one with them. But yeah, what do you get called? Because like for me with my commercial, I always crack up because I'll see. Uh, then my my agent says, you know, you can play a lawyer, you can play a doctor, you can just play a creep. Yeah, and I always say it when I go out to the creep, like you see these guys, and I'm 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 a okay looking guy. Yeah, but I see these guys, I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> are you joking me? This guy's like two heads, right? And right. I and, and you always see this thing, and they're yeah, and you're like, oh, oh. they're character, character. What, what do you get called? Uh, well, I get you as a spokesperson. I get spokesperson all the time. I get Steve Carell every damn day. I, I mean, yeah, now you say that. Day. Uh, yeah, every day. I've ran into Steve Carell. I've run into Craig Robinson. I'm doing a show with him next month. I've run into Craig Robinson and two other people from the show the office who thought i was him then when they hit me on the shoulder like hey what's up steve i turn around i'm like, like oh shit sorry i thought that that's why you had the goatee yeah yeah so uh and then i was at trader joe's the grocery store over here and i was at a checkout line and all of a sudden people start whipping out their phones taking my picture i'm like here we go everyone thinks i'm steve carell because he lives real close by too okay and uh all of a sudden i hear a little boy go sir can i have your autograph and i turn to go all right look kid i'm not i turn around it's steve carell and we're on my have a big nose steve carell has a big nose and we're nose to nose oh wow the look in his face he's like and the whole store just converged everyone's phones are out and the one time i don't have my camera phone on me right oh god and uh i just look at him i said all right let's just get it out of the way Everywhere I guess I'm a comedian. Every city I perform in, everywhere I go, people say I look like you. And he's like, people say you look like me. I said, yeah. He goes, wow, how unfortunate for That's you. That's funny. I, I actually I tweeted uh, Bob Balaban. Okay. Uh, and I had when I was in the hospital and I wow, Bob, you're right. You and I had I had my beard. Yeah. And I was in the hospital. I was sitting there and I, I got out of the hospital and I, I didn't shave and I, I tweeted a picture. I said. Ike passes your younger brother and he goes <laughs> I wouldn't think that's a good he responded I wouldn't think it was a good thing I love when people respond to tweets me too like there's a guy because I, I go back east now this guy Mike Jarrick is on the uh, Good Day show out there and he's very much like Steve Edwards who I love Steve Edwards okay yeah and I tweeted I said I'm back east I come back east a lot to see my girlfriend thank you for being my Steve Edwards substitute right I get a tweet back thank you know, he goes you're welcome he goes I love Steve Edwards but it's just nice or, and Leonard uh, what's not Leonard uh, the guy on Dateline uh Lester Holt. Okay. 
Every time we, we see my girlfriend watches Dateline or she watches the news, the guy never is always working. So I tweeted, I said, man, does Lester Holt ever have a day off? Right. And he tweets me back. He says, I'm actually off today at home <laughs> on my couch with jeans and sneakers. Yeah. And that's cool. And like Steve Carell seems like he'd just be a really cool guy. Oh, he was. He was, he was a really nice guy. So anyway, I get cast for like Steve Carell, uh, guy next door, young dad stuff, lawyer. Uh, I actually, I, I'm actually a, a pretty good character actor, I like to think. Uh, my acting coach tells me that. And uh, I've seen really the, 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 out there at characters like the Billy Bob Thorntons and Sling Blades okay. and the the meth addict, the homeless guy. I know you just you know just, I I really enjoyed those transformation. That's I where could, I seem to excel. I could at. see you playing like one of those uh, uh, Wall Street guys who screws everybody, like like the yeah. guy who would get killed on cold case. Oh, yeah, you know, I could see you playing one of those guys. And Ari Gold, like an entourage. I get yeah, that a lot. Could, so my my new agent, that's the kind of stuff she's already uh, pegging me. Now, for. have you booked commercials before? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Okay. You know, I so, said, you know, when you change, it seems like you change agencies like every four years. It's like college out here. Right. You know, it's just whether maybe they lose your, the fever for you or maybe you lose the fever for them. You've changed your look. They're not calling in for the right things or, you know, whatever. So stuff isn't hitting, whatever. So this new one's my favorite one I've had. They're, this, I've been targeting them for a year. I love, uh, you know, they have Craig Shoemakers on the roster. A lot of comedians are on the roster. Okay. And it's good because they're comedians, but I'm not going up against them. Right. You know, I'm not, the, I'm not, the, you know, this guy's a big, tall, fat guy, and this is a, a big black gay guy and I know we're not going out for the same things but right. they do have comedians on their roster because they know how to work with them okay so now do you like the process of shooting a commercial or what, what is your okay we have like a little under five minutes left. okay what is your favorite I mean is it stand up is it acting or is it hosting stand up's or- my all time favorite okay. hosting a very close second and uh, you know and acting a very close third I mean I said I like I always find the good in all of them you know there's something there's something with stand up there's that immediate look when I was in radio I I, I did really well I mean in, tw- in 22 books or whatever hat I finished uh, first 11 times and never finished below number 3 in my okay. ratings and I could reach a million people every quarter hour that were the ratings you know generally but Unless they called me and said, hey, that was really funny. And I did. I'd have listeners say, hey, six months ago, you said something really funny. Like, six months ago? I appreciate that. But I always had also a lot of fun going to personal appearances. Okay, so there's two, 300 people, maybe 1,000 people, whatever. And I get to have that laugh, that immediate right, right there, that instant gratification. Uh, hosting, you know, again, if I'm doing man-in-the-street stuff and I'm making them laugh, great. But, you know, you hope, like, I hope this plays at home, you know. Right. You know, there is that. You know, when it comes to acting, you know, the, the pay is good. You get to do something. Thing different, all right. So it's not stand-up comedy. I find that I just I like entertaining. You know, I said that with the right. I, you know, we have a script we're trying to sell, and we have the other TV show we're pitching. It's, real, real quick. I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you because we're running out of time soon. Um, tell people about your book. Oh, uh, well, I've emceed over one thousand weddings. Over a thousand. I mean, you think about that. In twenty years, I've been to over a thousand weddings. Most people won't go to. 10 yeah. or how many have you been to in your whole life? Not a lot. Right. Uh, and I've seen it all. Five of my own. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it all. And uh, I got tired of people saying, you know, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen at a wedding? You have any weird stories? And of course, I've seen it all. I've had people die at weddings and men get, get cold feet. The women get cold feet. Infidelity at the wedding, you know, with the bride and the groom. I've been hit on by the bride. I've been hit on by the groom. That's I awesome. mean, you pick it. I've seen it. So you have a lot of these wedding books that are out there and they're always written in this fancy cursive. The, how to have the perfect right. day. 500 tips. They're always geared towards women they're very overwhelming and they always have to strive for perfection you know and sorry just it's never going to be perfect and that's what makes the good wedding is the fact that it eh, maybe a couple things went a little wrong or it wasn't exactly right so i just started writing down uh, all these stories and everything and they yes they are real life stories in the book that are funny but it's also a lot of what to do and what not to do at your wedding and it's also written for men and women and it's a bathroom reader it's an hour and a half read 
It's on Kindle. It's called uh, How to Go from Wedding Hell to Wedding Bells, What Not to Do at Your Wedding Reception. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, your your wedding should not necess- your wedding should not need a survival guide. So many of these weddings are survival guide. Why are you surviving your right. wedding? Right, yeah, exactly. Jeez, who wants to do that? You know, so, and it's doing really well. It's on Kindle. Go get it. And so, is it a bookstore or just Kindle? Just on Kindle. And I also have my album called Let's Get Bloated. Uh, it's on uh, iTunes. You can get that as well. People just say, you know, with a Kindle, I'll tell you this much. Uh, my friend Nicole Nam- Naiman wrote a book when you're in California and I have a Google Nexus not the Kindle Fire the okay. Kindle thing but people just you know and if you have a Google Nexus download the Kindle app yeah. and then you can get Lou's book because yeah. a lot of people don't do it they go oh it's not in Play Store no you can go to Amazon and you can still download Kindle so do that get his book people yeah, it's $2.99 $2.99 I'm going to go get his book <laughs> I'm going to get it today I actually have a uh, yeah, I'm going to do that. All right. I'm gonna, three I'm gonna bucks read. made. I'm making money on this show. Three bucks. See that? He, <laughs> he just made three bucks, and that's good. So anyway, uh, wrap up. Uh, just tell everyone your, how to get in touch with you, all yep. your upcoming stuff real quick. Okay. Uh, LouSantini.com. L-O-U-S-A-N-T-I-N-I. My pictures, calendar, what's happened. I just, by the way, I just made the New, New York Post as their top 100 gags, tweets, and jokes Saw of the it. year. I was Saw on that it. list. All I know is I was on a list with Steve Martin, and I had a boner all day. Uh, yeah, so uh, LouSantini.com. My calendar's on there. Uh, uh, it, it, you can click on links to buy my book. You click on links to buy my album. Uh, you can email me. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's Lou Santini because <laughs> I used to get all the time on the radio. It's L O U with three U's. And I'm on Facebook, Lou Santini. Look them up, people. Also for me, at Cooper Talk is my tweet, Twitter, tweet, whatever it is. Um, go to past episodes, www.coopertalk.net. I have about 125 or 130 episodes up. Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Type in one word, Cooper Talk, and you can check them out. It's, it's, it's some really good guests on there. Also, email me, Cooper at Indy100, I-N-D-I-E100.com. Send me an email. Tell me if you want to hear guests. I'm going to try to get away from comedians a little bit, get some more actors, because, you know, it's I love comics, but you got to change things up. Sure. And also, uh, I don't have the date. I'll tell you next week I'm doing a guest uh, tomorrow on Comedy Cabaret. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Thank you so much, Lou. Thank you so much for having me.